Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Acts chapter 8 this morning. And uh, we're going to dive right back into the book of Acts. Uh, for uh, we're, we're going to finish the book of Acts uh, eventually. I don't know about how long it'll take, but I do know we're going to be in this uh, part of the book of Acts the next about four chapters for seven or eight weeks um, or so. I, I give myself a little bit of breathing room or so. We might be there a little bit longer, but I've been challenged already as uh, I've been studying through uh, especially this portion of the book of Acts. Uh, And so this, as our first part of uh, the series, uh, was really just a series entitled New Beginnings. And we looked really at the new beginnings of the church and a lot of what took place. And I'll uh, rehash that a little bit to get us on the same uh, page in just a moment. Uh, Whereas this portion of the book of Acts is going to be a series entitled Scattered. And we're going to look at and study uh, how the gospel expanded from beyond just Jerusalem. And, uh, and we touched on it very briefly at the end of the last message in our New Beginning series, uh, but really going to dive into it for the next several weeks as we see the gospel go outside of Jerusalem and eventually uh, to all the world. And aren't you thankful for that? Because that means it came to us. And uh, so we're going to look at that in the next several weeks to get us all kind of on the same page uh, as we looked Uh, Really starting at the beginning of the book, we looked at the mission of the church and how it's all about Jesus and forward moving of seeing people saved, seeing people grow in the Lord. And uh, and that was the first message of the the entire church here at Ridgepoint, uh, but also the beginning of our series in the book of Acts to just see that the mission of the church is all about Jesus, all about bringing people to him, all about growing in him, and all about bringing him honor and glory. And so we looked at the mission of the church. We saw the evidence of God in the church and how uh, he brought the Holy Spirit in and and and, and dwelled the believers. And, uh, and there were some signs and wonders that took place in that specific moment to show evidence of God working in and through the church to the unbelieving world that was looking. And, and then we uh, saw that they had, they just kind of got into a really good routine of helping people, of loving God, of growing in his word and being dedicated to hearing his word taught and preached. And, and uh, we saw that the routine of the church was really uh, just all about the mission of the church, of growing in the Lord and seeing people come to know him. And, uh, and then we saw uh, some individual stories. The author of Acts, uh, Luke, uh, he, he starts to look into some individual stories of how uh, the Lord works in and through some people. And we saw in chapter 3 it was that a lame man came to know the Lord and was healed because of it uh, by Peter and John. But it was, uh, even though Peter and John were there to administer the miracle, so to speak, uh, they even said of themselves, this is because of his faith in the name of Jesus Christ and the power that it has. And we saw the power of the name of Christ uh, be able to heal people and, and see people come to know him and huge multitudes that they went from 120 people to 3,000 and or 2,120 people to much more even thousands coming to know Christ and uh, so then we saw uh, through a little bit of that that um, that they 
there was some people that were threatened by this uh, huge, uh, um, a mass of people beginning to believe on Jesus. And uh, because of that, the Sadducees we saw came up against the apostles and uh, specifically Peter and John in chapter 4 and I told them, hey, don't speak in this name and, and quit preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, we can't help but tell exactly what we've seen and what we've heard uh, of all of, of Jesus. And they just continued to preach the gospel. And, uh, and through that, we saw that uh, on top of all of that, uh, the church started to kind of feel the pressure, uh, but instead of uh, praying for deliverance from that pressure and that persecution, instead uh, they pray for boldness to endure it and to walk through it and to just continue on the mission for Jesus. And, uh, and that was such a challenge to me. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, because of the uh, massive numbers, when a church goes from 120 to multiple thousands in a matter of just a few weeks or months, uh, there's naturally going to be some growing pains. And so they had some problems arise in chapter 6 it was that they needed to uh, to address of some of the people, uh, specifically the widows that weren't being cared for the way that they needed to and so they appointed the deacons and one such man that was among those deacons was a man by the name of Stephen. And our last message that we looked at in uh, the book of Acts previously before this one was uh, talking about Stephen, a man who is known more so for how he died than how he lived, known as uh, many would call him the first martyr. Uh, and, and he ultimately, he paid the ultimate price uh, for Jesus and died uh, for his cause, being stoned to death there. And uh, we saw at the end of it uh, an encouraging thought of that Stephen got a standing ovation uh, by the Lord himself, standing at the right hand of God and, uh, and, and really looking down upon Stephen in approval of what he had just done, making a stand, uh, taking a stand for him. And we, uh, there, there are a lot of other little nuances we covered in all that. We saw Ananias and Sapphira and how uh, when attacks from outside the church can't, uh, Satan can't get attacks from outside the church to bring it down, that he's going to try to corrupt it from within. And, and we saw Satan just continually attack and attack and attack. And eventually it all led to uh, this death of Stephen. And when uh, the death of Stephen happened, it sent off a chain reaction uh, of, of persecution toward the church uh, from the Sadducees, but specifically from a man that we would know uh, later on, and many would know him as the Apostle Paul. Uh, but prior to that, he would have just been known as Saul of Tarsus, a man who, as we'll see in our passage today, wreaked havoc among the church. And, and so I want us, now that we're kind of picked up, uh, to start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. We're going to read the first 25 verses and, and uh, unpack it for us this morning to look at just the simple thought of having gospel intention. Having gospel intention. So Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. 
Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. And bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Uh, a little bit, a uh, lot happening really in our passage this morning. We're going to cover all of it, but all really with one thought in mind. I want us to catch the gospel intention of the church as we look through this. So let's pray and ask God to bless this time, and then we'll dive into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a new day that we have in your house to look into your word. God, thank you for this uh, particular story and Uh, Lord, all that it entails for us and the reminders that it has. And God, we pray that you would just uh, help us as we uh, hear from you today uh, to just focus on what you have for us to learn. And Lord, that we would apply it to our hearts and our lives uh, after we've heard it. God, we pray that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. And Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified with all that's said and done. We pray that every word, God, that would come out of my mouth would just flow from your heart to your people today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you, uh, can you even imagine being on the run for your life? Have, has anyone ever been in that kind of situation? I can't even imagine uh, being on the run for my life. It's a scary situation. A while back, uh, Rebecca and I, we got on this fix of watching a show called Forensic Files. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, we watched all 406 episodes uh, it was one, it was during quarantine, okay? Okay, so uh, we watched all 406 episodes of Forensic Files, and there were several times as the narrator was telling the story 
that he was retelling how the victim was literally running away for their life. And each time, I had the worst anxiety as if I was running for my life, watching it, uh, as if I was the one running away. And, and even just in that situation, watching uh, a reenactment uh, just made me think, I can't imagine being in an actual situation where I'm running for my life. But, but here, we actually see in our passage today that that's exactly the situation in which the church had found themselves. They were, comp- they were running for their very life. Uh, Stephen has just been killed, and the Jews, specifically one named Saul, took it upon themselves to see that every single Christian was imprisoned and killed. It tells us that Saul, in verse 1, was approving of Stephen's death. It seems, as you, if you were to study through this, that uh, Saul already kind of has a prominent uh, position among the Pharisees and the Sadducees as a lawyer, as a student of the law of God here, because uh, he was the one that they would have given their uh, coats to. It says that they uh, threw their coats at his feet before they went to stone Stephen. And, and then it says that he consented or uh, gave the approval of his death. And so it seems that he already had some sort of, uh, of authority here on, on matters of what was going to take place against the church. But we see him take upon himself uh, the the furtherance of persecution for the church because it tells us in uh, verse 3 that he completely made havoc of the church. Um, what, what's interesting is uh, the words there made havoc in the Greek uh, are, are the words that they would use to talk about ripping apart a wild animal, like ripping apart skin or a body. That's, that's kind of a graphic a thing, but think about it. Saul, in his mind, said, "I'm going to completely tear apart the church of God." That is my uh, his soul's intention at this point. His heart's intention was to completely squash what he saw as a threat to their religion and their political power. Uh, this movement of the gospel, and so he went and made havoc in the church by going into each and every house looking for Christians and those that he found. He would, he would, it says hailing them, uh, which is just a, a way of saying he, he would literally drag them out of their house and into prison uh, so that they could be killed. Uh, he, he was uh, completely committed to, uh, to breaking up the church. And in so doing, he ended up scattering the church. Stephen being uh, killed and, and, and this persecution coming upon the church... Uh, the people scattered out of Jerusalem into all of the parts of Judea and in Samaria, it tells us. And, and what I find so amazing is that despite this dire situation and the places that the church found themselves in, they still had spreading the gospel as their main focus. They were running for their lives. Not, they didn't have a place to live, many of them most likely, because they were just running, getting away so that they didn't get hailed or dragged to prison and killed. And, and yet they, uh, they still had a focus upon seeing the gospel spread to other people. They didn't let their circumstance deter them from their call. It's as if they had a wherever I go, the gospel goes mentality. Wherever I am, the gospel is going with me. They, they had an intention with the gospel. They were intentional uh, with the gospel. They were focused on making sure that their call to spread the gospel was always accomplished no matter where they were. Because when someone is truly focused on something, it's hard, if not impossible, to derail them. 
Uh, they were compl- so focused on seeing the gospel spread that even their current circumstance of running for their life couldn't derail them from the mission of seeing people saved and seeing people come to know the Lord. Uh, I, I think of, when I think of that kind of focus, I think of uh, my children. And when they're focused on uh, something, sometimes when Felicity is playing with friends, I can tell if she's really concentrating on getting something or on, uh, or, or on to catch up to her friends because many of her friends are bigger than her and they're faster, they have longer legs, and she's concentrated on just running. And, and to kind of test her a little bit recently, I've been just seeing if she knows the voice of her dad, if she'll uh, hearken to the voice of her dad, uh, so to speak. And uh, I'll be like, Felicity! And, uh, and sometimes she, she's not focused enough that she'll, she'll stop and she'll look. What, Dad? And then other times, it doesn't matter what I do, how y- hard I yell. Uh, if I go and almost get in her face sometimes, she's so focused that it's like there's nothing. And I'm like, Are you- whoa! So I, the other day it happened, but it wasn't with friends. It was she was watching a TV show, and she was so focused on whether it was a triangle or a square that was supposed to go in the little square, uh, the little slot there, uh, that that she didn't hear me yell her name. When someone is truly focused on something, with all of their heart and mind, it's focused on that. It it, it is hard to derail them, and, and I see that with the church. Their focus is completely and utterly on the gospel and the further spread of the gospel. And because of that, even the dire situation that they were in wasn't going to distract them or derail them from getting the gospel to other people. Uh, They were focused. They weren't allowing those distractions. uh, and, And really, truly, I'd give them a pass. I mean, if any distraction was going to deter them from from spreading the gospel, I would think that this is an understandable distraction their very life and the the well-being of their family getting out of Jerusalem so that they don't go to prison or die just for believing in Christ. I uh, maybe I'm a little too carnal, but I would give them a pass. That's an understandable distraction and yet for them they didn't let deter them from their focus on the gospel. And so despite the fact that they ended up all over Judea and Samaria completely detached from some of their family and friends, they still had a fervor and a passion to proclaim Jesus to others. And one such man that we see in our passage that's specifically mentioned is a man named Philip. A man named Philip. Now this is not Philip the Apostle. This isn't the Apostle Philip. We would know that uh, because of the context of Scripture. He was one of the seven deacons chosen in Acts 6. If you go back, there's a man named Philip there. If you look at other portions of Scripture, uh, he's also referred to as Philip the Evangelist. He, uh, we also would know from the context of our passage specifically that he wouldn't be the Apostle Philip because all the apostles are in Jerusalem. It tells us that in verse 1. And yet here we see this Philip going to the city of Samaria, uh, and Luke t- uh, takes the time uh, to, to give us this little snapshot of a revival that takes place to the Samaritans. It tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now, if you were to look at uh, a, a map, maybe in the back of your Bible or a, a Bible atlas or anything like that, or just pull it up on Google and look, uh, Samaria to us is not down from Jerusalem. Uh, it's north of Jerusalem, in fact, and and so uh, just kind of to help us understand how they would have talked, uh, when they say almost any time, especially if it's from Jerusalem, that they went down from somewhere, they're talking not about geographical location, they're talking about uh, elevation, 
And so pretty much anywhere in Israel, uh, if you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. Whether you're heading north, south, east, west, you're heading up because of the elevation of Jerusalem. Anywhere else, they're heading down from. And so he headed down out of Jerusalem up to, so down, (laughs) up, north to Samaria, specifically the city, which uh, if if you uh, were to study through the Old Testament, you would find would have been the capital city of the northern uh, kingdom when, the, when Judah and Israel split into two kingdoms. So he goes up to this uh, city of Samaria. Now what I, what I love about this is that means that Philip had to cross some cultural boundaries, so to speak. Uh, not just physical boundaries, uh, but he had to have intention to go across some cultural boundaries and uh, he had to f- most likely uh, get past, because of uh, many of what the Jews would believe, uh, he, would ha- he would have to understand that he's going to also come up uh, with, with some prejudices that would have been taking place against the Samaritans. Now, Philip, uh, one, one of the reasons I, f- I believe that he was so effective in Samaria is because Philip is not uh, of Jewish descent uh, in the sense of he wasn't purebred Jew uh, from Jerusalem, like many of the people who would have had prejudice against the Samaritans would have had. Uh, he, if you look at it, is, has a Greek name. And so he would have had some kind of Greek descent as well, which I think would have given him maybe some effectiveness here. But he goes past these boundaries that many of the other people in the church probably wouldn't have. And he goes to Samaria and he starts to preach the gospel to them. And, uh, and when he does, uh, the Lord gives him a, spe- a special uh, anointing of some of the sign gifts and wonders there of seeing uh, some people that were possessed of devils, that their demons were, he exercised those demons. He says that he also was able to see uh, people who were lame and, and all kinds of ailments uh, were healed because of the power that God was doing through Philip. Uh, really, I believe, just as we see, saw earlier in the book of Acts, uh, to verify to the Samaritans that this is truly a, a message from God with the verifiable gifts that was, were given to Philip. But as he goes, uh, these people accept. It says they take heed to what he has to say. They, they catch on to it and they follow through with believing it. And, and then it tells us, I, I believe it's in verse, let me find it, eight, yes, that it says, then there's great joy in that city because of what took place. You know, I've noticed that when the gospel truly connects in someone's life, there seems to always uh, follow a sense of great joy. A sense of great joy. And, and then I, I love that Luke, after he gives that, that uh, story of all these people that have followed, he starts to kind of contrast it by focusing in on a specific person in this area who came into contact with the gospel message. And in verse 9, we're introduced to a man called Simon, who is normally referred to as Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer. We see a, a city full of people who are experiencing great joy and new life because of Jesus, but then we see a man who seems to be struggling a little with fully grasping the gospel and its power in someone's life. I believe that's due to what his previous life was all about. And so in verse 9 through 13, the, uh, Luke just tells us that uh, Simon uh, was someone who really, he was, he was a professional scammer. 
<laughs> That's what he was. Uh, he was. He was a fraud. He, he made it seem as if he was some great uh, little G, God, uh, in front of these people because of his tricks that he did. Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us if, if the sorcery that he did was actually some kind of demonic-influenced power or whether it was just like some what we have today and magicians, just uh, eye, eye tricks and, and things like that. It doesn't specifically tell us, but in some way he, it says that he's bewitched. He's completely fooled all of these people to believe that he is someone great because of this power that he holds. And, and we'll find that because of that previous life, it, it hinders him from fully understanding uh, how God's power can work in and through someone. And so these people, for a long time, it tells us, uh, at, just as they took heed and they uh, obeyed and listened to the words of Philip, it says that b- before they listened to Philip, they were taking heed and listening to Simon because of his uh, sign, sign gifts, quote-unquote, of what he was showing. And so uh, we, we see that uh, these people get saved, and then it tells us that Simon, this man, also gets saved. And baptized. Now, uh, I, I do believe that Simon did get saved. Uh, I, I have no reason to believe that he didn't. Some commentators would would go back and forth on was Simon truly saved or not. I believe that he was, uh, considering that the Bible tells us that he did get saved, uh, and also knowing Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, and how meticulously detailed he was in his writing because he was a doctor uh, that if this wasn't a true conversion I, I, I feel like Luke would have told us so and, and, and really I just like to take the Bible at face value and what it says is what it means and it tells us Simon got saved but uh, we'll see in a moment that he still had some growing to do but it tells us that all these people get saved and even a man who previously had all these people duped also believed on the Lord and got baptized. And then, it's, it's like Luke takes another turn and before he finishes the story of Simon says, uh, by the way, the, the apostles in Jerusalem heard about all of this taking place and they had to inspect it. They had to go and see what was taking place. So they send Peter and John in verse 14 to go up. The news of the Samaritans believing got back to the apostles and they send Peter and John uh, to come see what's happening. And, and what Peter and John do is they pray that those uh, who have believed that they would receive the Holy Spirit because they had all been saved and baptized, but the Holy Spirit had not yet come to indwell these believers yet. Now, side note, what we're about to see happen uh, needs to be understood as a special instance. Uh, needs to be stu- understood as a special time of how this took place. To, to understand what's p- taking place, we need to remember that the book of Acts is a transitional book. Uh, not, not all of the book of Acts is prescriptive, is what they would say. That, uh, that every single thing in the book of Acts is exactly how it should happen in our lives and, and our uh, everyday living. Uh, not everything in it is prescriptive. We can't, we can't build an entire theology on the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 8 of what takes place here. Uh, this is an instance in Acts where rather than being prescriptive, it, it seems to be descriptive, just describing or telling a story. And from all of Scripture in its context, we would find that when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit immediately. 
Uh, when you compare scripture with scripture, you'd find that uh, when we now get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, uh, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were, you were given the promise of the Holy Spirit at the time that you believed and accepted salvation. Uh, but, but think about this. Remember that the Jews, to understand how this is a transition and why it happened this way, uh, remember the Jews were very prejudiced against the Samaritans. Uh, they, would, they would normally not even go through Samaria. They would completely go around Samaria so, so as not to dirty themselves of the filth. Uh, that they believed these people were. They saw the Samaritans because of the history of, uh, of when both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom came under captivity, the northern kingdom to Assyria and the southern kingdom to Babylon, that when that took place, that Assyria uh, didn't completely take every single one of the uh, Israelites out of the northern kingdom. They left some of them there and they threw some of, the, of their people into Israel uh, to be able to look over and make sure that the people who were still there were going to do the crops and, and give them to Assyria. And, and you can go and study that. And, and through it, uh, the Assyrians, because of that, they, they ended up marrying some of the Israelites. And so that's why many of those who would grow up uh, purely Jewish uh, from Jerusalem, especially in the area of Judah or Judea, they would see the Samaritans as half-breeds. Uh, they would see them in a very prejudiced way as people who weren't, they had soiled their holy set-apartness, their, their sanctified selves to the Lord. They had, they had soiled that by the fact that they weren't purely Jewish anymore. And so they many times would look down upon them. They would speak against them. If you look at John chapter 4 and how the woman at the well, a Samaritan, spoke to Jesus, she said, oh, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you even talking to me? And, and, and then she even says, that the people down south, uh, the people from Jerusalem say, that's the only place we can worship. And Jesus has to teach her that those who truly worship God are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about the location about where you worship him, but about the spirit in which you do it. And, and so through looking at scripture, you, you would know that these Jews would have maybe had some reservations as to whether the Samaritans really even could get saved. Uh, and, and so they sent the uh, apostles, Peter and John, to go and inspect this to come uh, and, and make sure that they were saved. And I believe that the reason that the Holy Spirit was delayed for this was so that uh, Peter and John, seeing the evidence of the Holy Spirit being given to them, was an authenticator of God's plan truly being to more than just the Jews, that it would authenticate to them that this truly was God working and not just the Jews, but to save people outside of the Jewish community, those in Samaria. But I think it could also have to do with the fact that uh, Peter needed to do this. I believe Peter needed to do this. Back in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked who people uh, think he is, and then he asked the disciples, well, who do you think I am? And Peter uh, says the great declaration of, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. And he says, man, you are blessed because no one has told you this. It is only God who could reveal that to you, Peter. And then <clears throat> Jesus says, and upon that truth that you just spoke, that I am the son of God, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. But if you continue in that chapter in verse 19, uh, Jesus tells Peter that he would hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
Now when, uh, because of that verse, there are plenty of jokes out there that begin with Peter being at the pearly gates and opening it and letting people in, and uh, there's plenty of that. But if you look at the verse, uh, Jesus says this, Peter, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And I believe that Jesus was simply telling Peter this, you're going to have the privilege of opening the door of faith. He used the word keys. Uh, I believe it's a picture. You're going to have the privilege of opening the door of faith to other people. Because it's interesting, at the day of Pentecost, who was there? Peter. Uh, Who's here in Acts chapter 8 when the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit? Peter. In Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles eventually get the Holy Spirit, who's there? John. No, I'm just kidding. Peter, right? Okay, Peter. Uh, He's there. So the keys Jesus talked about was talking about how Peter was going to be used of God to open the door of faith to others. What an amazing opportunity. And we see these people receive the Holy Spirit when Peter and John lay their hands on them and pray for them. And Simon, the sorcerer, sees this. And when he sees that the Holy Spirit was given to them uh, by the fact that they laid the hands on them, uh, he tries to pay them uh, for that power. Uh, He's like, how much do you want? I want that power. I want it to be when I touch someone that the Holy Spirit goes upon them. How much money is it? And Peter reprimands him him, uh, pretty harshly for it uh, because of his thought process. Now, now I don't fault Simon too much because I believe that uh, his misunderstanding of the gospel work and the Holy Spirit's work uh, was the fact that he was still holding on to preconceptions of power from his life prior to salvation. Uh, he had a specific thinking about what, what power looked like and what, what uh, it, part it played in someone's life. And because of that, uh, he was still uh, growing out of those preconceptions he had prior to salvation. It reminds me of uh, w- when I got married, I, you know, when I said I do and I put on the ring and I kissed Rebecca in front of all those people in the church on September 27, 2014, I became a husband. That day I became a husband in that moment, uh, but I didn't know anything about being a husband. <laughs> I, I still had to grow uh, to, to learn what it meant to even be a husband. I was a husband, but I didn't know everything that it meant to be a husband. I had some premarital counseling that helped kind of get us on the right track, but that can't prepare you for living with someone that you have never lived with before and you don't know everything about not only just the opposite sex but the other person and then they don't know about you and things that you didn't think were gross about yourselves are all of a sudden gross and I'm just saying okay you didn't know you didn't know and you had to grow I mean for the longest time I remember I didn't I didn't even act like I was married because I would always forget to introduce my wife We'd be standing there, and I'm like, hi, I'm Micah. And she's like, and I'm Rebecca, his wife. I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this is my wife. Uh, just because you, you got to grow into it. You don't just automatically know how to become that when you become a husband. Even like hundredfold more when I became a father. Uh, I was now a father on August 3rd of 2017 when Felicity was born, and I was holding this little daughter of mine. But I had no clue, and I'm telling you, now that it's been three years, I truly had no clue back then how to be a father. Okay, so I don't blame Simon here for, uh, he, he was a Christian, he was saved, but for not fully understanding all of what that would take place in his life. I, I don't blame him for that, uh, but Peter very quickly tells him, hey, you need to change your thinking. You are now saved, and this is not the way 
that we think about the gospel or the power of the Holy Spirit. You've thought that this can be something that can be bought, that can be swindled, that can be uh, duped, uh, that can dupe people into thinking that you're some great one just as your previous life was. That's not what this is about. You need to ask forgiveness because you are still bound by some of the sin in your life. That's what he says. You're still in the bond of iniquity. You're still bound by some of the previous sin in your life. You need to grow in Christ and grow out of that. And so uh, we see Simon uh, getting to learn uh, by being corrected by Peter uh, how to truly uh, learn how to be identified by the gospel and not your preconceived notions really of yourself. And then it tells us that when they were done in Samaria, preaching and teaching the word there, that Peter and John went back to Jerusalem. But this time, I love it, it tells us that on their way to Jerusalem, they preach and teach the word uh, in, in many of the Samaritan villages on the way back. We see Peter and John now, after experiencing this and seeing the true faith of the Samaritans, that now they have the same gospel intention that we saw the church with at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, we're on our way back to Jerusalem, but there's a lot of these Samaritan villages we're going to travel through, and they need to know Christ as well. And so we're, we're not just going to make a beeline straight back to uh, straight back to Jerusalem, we're going to make sure that we are actually uh, sharing the love of Christ with every person that we come in contact with on the way. You know, when we hear a story like this, I believe that we should be truly challenged in this way. We should be challenged in this. How focused am I on the gospel? How focused am I on the gospel? You know, our, our call is the same as theirs, to preach the gospel to every creature, to, uh, to see other people come to know Jesus. And yet, at, at times, I think that we can allow our circumstances or our prejudices or our, our fear of how people respond, we can keep, allow things like that to keep us from sharing the gospel the way that we should. Uh, we're living in a time where I believe that in the very near future, it will be hard to share the gospel. Uh, and for some, that's unimaginable because it already seems hard. But looking at how our world's getting worse and worse, as the Bible says it will, I truly believe that in the near future, it will be hard to share the gospel. But you know what? No matter how hard it may become, uh, our call, it doesn't change our call. Our call is still to, to minister to people with the gospel. We need to live with gospel intention. We need to have a passion to see people's lives changed with the gospel and by the gospel. Will it always be easy? No. <laughs> will, it, will people always accept it? No. Uh, will some people completely misunderstand it? Yes. <laughs> will, will we be per persecuted for it? Maybe. But uh, we, and we saw all of that from our passage today. Those things may happen in our sharing of the gospel, but our call is still the same. Preach the gospel to every single creature. May we strive each day, even this week, to be focused on sharing the gospel with others, to live with gospel intentions, that every person I come in contact with, uh, it, it, here's a reality check for us that we're going to come across real people this week who are going to spend eternity in one of two real places, heaven or hell. And, and we just might be 
the only opportunity that they have to hear the gospel. It can be as easily as inviting them to church with a, an invitation that has the gospel on it. It can be a, a full conversation about what the gospel has done in your life, whatever it may look like. But this week, as we live in each, each and every day, may we strive to be focused on living out and sharing the gospel, living with gospel intentions. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.